Somebody told me. Greg Mathley's very excited today because it finally happened. Jets 2.0. Victorious in the postseason. Uh, relieved as much as anything. It was pretty exciting to be sure, but uh, lots of pacing as the, the Jets iced the puck six times in the last two minutes as the Minnesota Wild pulled their goaltender with two minutes, 30 seconds left. And the Jets did a very good job in their own zone to hold on to the victory, but they ended up icing the puck. I don't know if I've ever seen that. A team iced the puck six times. They can't call a timeout. It was nerve-wracking right to the very end. The Jets went ahead, one nothing, And then Minnesota scored two goals early in the third period to go up 2-1. The Jets fought back. Uh, really had a little bit of everything. It was uh, an outstanding game, to be sure. So as someone who, you know, has a vague understanding of the game of hockey, but not to nearly to the extent that you do, when a team ices the puck six times in that short a time span, why is that significant? It's a big deal because you cannot change players. Uh, that was a rule that came in about three, four years ago in an effort to give offensive teams a little bit of an advantage because that was a strategy some teams would employ to relieve the pressure. They they would ice the puck and then they would change lines. Well, not only can you not change lines anymore, you can't even call your time out when you're in your defensive zone and you've iced the puck. So the same players were on the ice for the Jets for, for over two minutes, the final two minutes of the game. And well, fatigue is one of your major enemies in hockey, and that's when you make mistakes. And the Jets cleared the puck down the ice a couple of different times at the empty net, uh, something that you didn't used to see, but you see it a little bit more often uh, to no avail. Uh, it was just, uh, yeah, it was uh, very intense. The Jets really imposed their will in the third period. I think they outshot Minnesota 17-1. to 1 in the last, or no, they couldn't have done that. <laughs> it was 17 to one after Minnesota scored their first goal. Uh, the, they, they scored exactly one more goal and then uh, one more shot. Okay. In the in the third period, so uh, you'll have to forgive me. I'm uh, a little bit <laughs> excited, exhausted, yep. and it's been a very emotional couple of days. Uh, well, really, it's been emotional since Friday, right? And just a kind of a culmination of so many things last night for hockey fans, for Winnipeggers, and for people across the country who are following this hockey team and, of course, what's going on and been going on in Humboldt, Saskatchewan. You've put a montage together uh, from last night, and I, I am want to hear it uh, I'll just quickly say I tried I tried to watch the game I, I gave in to you mentioned fatigue I, I fell asleep in my chair as I often do uh, in the first intermission so when I, I dozed off for a few minutes and when I came to I just turned everything off and ran to bed because I didn't want to wake up and stay up. Uh, but I took notes. So I'll, as I do, I, I went into couch potato mode. I often take <laughs> notes when I'm watching TV. So I'll share some of those a little bit throughout the show. Uh, my observations that might not necessarily fall into hockey commentary. I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> Should I press play on this? Please do. This is a special place. It's uh, we've got a camera in the, uh, 
I mean, the doors opened, I think, clearly at 5 o'clock because they looked like uh, they got the memo wrong and thought the game was starting. We, that's the best warm-up crowd we've ever had, and they were wired from the start, right? It's a great place to play. How was it? It was amazing. It was so amazing. Were you guys worried they weren't going to win? Yeah. I was sure. I predicted 5-3, but 3-2 three, works. Yeah, first playoff game. Woo! Amazing. to get here. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Out uh, from the Winkler area. And it was worth it. Oh, for sure. Traffic, everything, no problem. i do this any day. For the players that have been here since the team came back, there's a lot of grind that went into it. Certainly, uh, ownership and management, uh, but probably more than anybody, the fans that saw uh, two different versions of the Winnipeg Jets, and it's been a long time since they've been able to, to go home in a good mood after a playoff game. You know what, the Jets were very cautious the first period, but once they know what they were playing against, they open it up and they played Jets hockey. It was good. Excellent game. It was game. good. Excellent game. Did you ever worry they weren't going to win it? Never. You know what? In the first period, it was so defensive, but once they opened it up, I was not worried one bit. All good. Joe Morrow gets the winner. Did you see that coming? Anybody can score on this team. I did not see that coming, but good for Morrow. He's a good new guy, and he's got new blood. Good for the Jets. Awesome. Finally, just the crowd. What was that like being in there? Intense. The best game since they came back to Winnipeg, this was by far the best game. Exciting, exciting, that's all I can say. We should invite them all back. Every single, and the ones outside. Paul Maurice, head coach of the Winnipeg Jets, referencing the uh, as many as 6,000 fans that were outside on Donald Street last night enduring uh, what turned into a cool evening, but uh, the cool factor of seeing so many folks in and around MTS Centre last night outweighed anything compared to the weather. An incredible exhibition by the Jets and their fans last night, and lots of folks hoping we can do that, uh, I don't know, about another 15 times. <laughs> over the next eight weeks or so. Fingers crossed. One at a time. More devastating news to come out of the Humboldt Broncos crash. Relatives of Dana Bronze say they will remember her joyful smile and her love of sport. The athletic therapist for the Humboldt Broncos junior hockey team died of her injuries yesterday, the 16th death as a result of Friday's horrific team bus crash in rural Saskatchewan. The family released a statement confirming that 25-year-old Dana Bronze had passed away this afternoon from the injury she sustained in last Friday's crash. Now, she was the only female on the bus at the time. The news came hours after the family released another statement saying Bronze was in critical condition. Now, Bronze is from the small Saskatchewan community of Lake Lenore, which is just north of Humboldt. She had studied at the University of Regina and Mount Royal University here in Calgary before becoming the athletic therapist for the Humboldt Broncos. Bronze was also the trainer for the Saskatchewan SWAT, a junior box lacrosse team based out of Saskatoon. Now, Bronze's family released a statement, as we said, saying she was surrounded by those she loved and those who loved her. Dana will be forever remembered for her joyful smile and her passion and love of sport. The statement goes on to say she was extremely proud to be part of the Broncos family. Now, reaction and condolences are also coming in online. 
Canadian women's hockey legend Haley Wickenheiser tweeting that this is the worst news and former NHL player Sheldon Kennedy saying he was devastated to hear of Braun's passing. Now the family also thanked the first responders and emergency staff and those who cared for Dana over the past days and they're now requesting privacy. Earlier this week, Edmonton Oilers coach Todd McClellan spoke about bronze. You know, one thing that I that I recognized uh, in that situation as well is that, um, you know, it's the humble Broncos. They're, they play in the Saskatchewan Junior League. It's a men's or a, a male league. There was a female on that bus, a female trainer. Um, you know, and everybody asked the guys doing. Are they are they are they good? Do the do they need anything? She was a big part of that team too, and she's in the hospital. And um, you know, as they as used the male term, they they kind of leave her out. And uh, I want to bring her back into the team environment. Um, she meant a lot to that team, and and does mean a lot to that community. So, um, and she's going through what all those other players are going through. Now, the first funeral will be held today for one of the 16 people whose lives were lost on Friday. Family and friends of 29-year-old Tyler Bieber, who was a radio announcer and the team's play-by-play announcer on Bolt FM, are to gather at the Elgar Peterson Arena, where the Broncos play their home games. Wednesday, on the shift with Drex, we heard from former Broncos play-by-play announcer Clark Stork, who was good friends with Tyler Bieber. And Tyler Bieber was a kid that never went to radio school or anything, but just got a job, and he was awesome at it. He was a great writer. He was a great radio guy. He was a natural. He was a natural. You're right, a natural. Me and him became very close friends. Um, He still has a key to my house because if I wasn't there, he would look after my dogs for me. Two other funerals are scheduled for tomorrow. Thousands of Canadian school children are anticipated to participate in a National Jersey Day today in support of the Humboldt Broncos. An email went out, Brett, uh, to all the parents at my kid's school two days ago, uh, asking uh, kids and encouraging kids to either wear green and yellow or uh, the hockey jersey, the sports jersey of their choice and solidarity with, uh, with Humboldt. And it's once again, overwhelming to note the, the power of this story, the unification that it's created in spite of this tragedy, uh, the whole leaving the stick out on the, on the, uh, on the porch for the boys, leave a light on and leave the sticks uh, out on the on the porch. I got a report, uh, you know, this is a side note, I got a report from a friend of mine who said, yeah, sticks have started going missing in our neighborhood. Mm. So yeah, I can't believe people are actually doing that. And the GoFundMe page, over $9 million now? $9.234 million. Absolutely. Just incredible. Absolutely phenomenal. We want to talk about what's happening this week on The Simpsons as it pertains to a controversial character. I hate Apu. Hate Apu. And because of that, I dislike The Simpsons. The whole series. Yeah. I love The Simpsons because... You hate yourself. My name is Hari Kondabolu. I've had a great career filled with laughter, critical acclaim. I should be completely happy. But there's still one man who haunts me. Apu Nahasapima Petalon. Please pay for your purchases and get out and come again. That is a clip from a documentary from last year called The Problem with Apu, made by Indian-American comedian Harry Kundabola. The Simpsons is in its 29th season. 29 seasons, Greg. That's unimaginable, unfathomable. It's 
crazy is what it is. This past Sunday on The Simpsons, seen in Canada on Global, the show addressed that documentary and addressed the problem with Apu. It was during a scene with Marge and Lisa, where Marge was reading a bedtime story to Lisa, and the story was riddled with social justice buzzwords, so Lisa complained. Here's how it played out after that. Well, what am I supposed to do? It's hard to say. Something that started decades ago and was applauded and inoffensive is now politically incorrect. What can you do? Some things will be dealt with at a later date. If at all. To talk about this, we are joined by someone who teaches Simpsons philosophy at Glasgow University. John Donaldson joins us live on 680 CJOB. Mr. Donaldson, good morning to you, sir. Hello. So I think one of the things that first jumped out at me, when Marge and Lisa were looking directly at the screen, Lisa, she's been a social justice avenger since the show began 29 years ago. So the fact that she is ignoring this issue, uh, that really kind of spits in the face of anybody who's watched the show, I think. What do you think? Um. Well, I think a lot hangs on, on what you think the issue is and what you think the rights and wrongs of the issue are. I think one key question that needs to be addressed with regards to Apu as a character and, and the ethics of uh, Apu as a comedy character is whether you can have a comedy character based on stereotypes and people can enjoy that comedy character without necessarily endorsing the stereotypes, but merely by recognising the stereotypes. Um, and it's that distinction between possibly endorsing a stereotype versus recognizing a stereotype um, that, that, on which the debate rests, I think. Um, those who think that you, that you can't enjoy a comedy character based on stereotypes without endorsing the stereotypes will think that, that there's a model wrong here. Those who think that you can enjoy a comedy character based on stereotypes without endorsing those stereotypes will perhaps not be so persuaded that there is a moral wrong here. John, I've watched uh, plenty of Simpsons episodes over those 29 years, certainly uh, more so in the first 14 or 15 seasons. I've always got the sense that in spite of, yes, the stereotype that exists with uh, Pooh, his character is much deeper than the guy that owns and works at the convenience store. Well, I, I, I think how deep you think the character of Apu is will depend on how much depth you want from the character of Apu. Um, all, you know, the Simpsons have been running for 29 seasons. All the characters' lives have been explored to some greater or lesser extent. Um, but how, how deeply Apu's character has been explored in The Simpsons is an independent question, I think, from the question of whether you can enjoy a comedy character, enjoy the humour of a comedy character, um, where that comedy character is based on stereotypes without endorsing the stereotypes. Um, Apu is one example. Another example in The Simpsons, and one that's relevant to myself, is the character of Groundskeeper Willie. Um, I'm Scottish. Groundskeeper Willie is, is, is clearly a, a highly stereotyped Scottish character. He wears a kilt. He drinks a lot. He's quite aggressive. He has ginger hair. Um, I, I enjoy, I think, Groundskeeper Willie immensely as a comedy character, um, yet at the same time, I don't feel like I endorse those stereotypes. I don't think those are, you know, I don't believe that all Scottish people, of course, wear kilts and uh, drink all the time and are very aggressive and have ginger hair. Um, that would be absurd. So that, that's maybe one, one example you could point to where 
I think I can enjoy the comedy character, uh, a comedy character based on stereotypes, Groundskeeper Willie, without having to endorse those stereotypes. No, I've been reading a couple of essays in uh, recent days. Uh, EntertainmentWeekly.com, for example, has posted a number of commentaries. One of them is from uh, Pia Sina Roy. Uh, she's based in Los Angeles, but she grew up in England, where her uh, family had immigrated to that country. And, and she says, hey, I like The Simpsons, but there are some genuine effects that this character has had on my family and other families like me, where the thank you come again is something that they've had kind of, she's kind of had to deal with her whole life because of the Simpsons. Yes. I think, I think that that's always a, a, a possible outcome where, where you create a work of art or a work of craft and you, you push it out into the world and people can take elements of that and uh, use it for their own ends. Often, um, their their uh, own uh, morally incorrect ends, um, but there 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 there's a principle that, that comedians in general sometimes appeal to, um, whereby uh, the authorship of something uh, depends on who is telling it. So, for example, if someone were to take a pornographic film and project it onto the side of a school. Right. This is an example that the comedian Frankie Boyle uses. If someone were, were to take a pornographic film, project it onto the side of a school, who would be morally responsible for that? Would it be the people who originally made the pornographic film or would it be the person who did the projecting? I think in that case, we'd think it was the person who did the projecting who was morally responsible for the moral harm that might follow from that. You might think that there's a similar, um, a similar situation in the case of... of comedy characters in shows like like The Simpsons. If people then use phrases of those, other people then use phrases of those comedy characters to um, make life unpleasant for other people around them, then, well, who's, who's really responsible for that? Is it the person who is, is, um, is the, the, the author of, of, of the actual expression or is it the original people who produced the show? Um, it's not immediately obvious, I think, that it is the original people who produced the show who were morally responsible in that case. There's lots of material out there to give you a platform to perpetuate any sort of stereotype. One of our listeners just texted in, and I think it's a great point, is that all the Simpson characters are stereotypes to one extent or another. I, I think that's true, yes. Uh, Homer is uh, an overweight, uh, not very intelligent uh, borderline alcoholic American. Um, um, Chief Chief Wiggum is the kind of stereotypical overweight, lazy cop. Um, um, uh, Mr. Burns is the stereotypical uh, evil psychopathic CEO, and so on. Right. Uh, throughout, throughout the show, it's it's stereotype city, you might say. Yes, exactly. And, and either I, either I think we have to say yes. We we've all been endorsing. Uh, either consciously or unconsciously, these stereotypes while enjoying The Simpsons, or we haven't. And if we've been enjoying The Simpsons without endorsing these stereotypes, um, then maybe we can accept that that's been happening in the case of Apu, too. Okay, I think we have to leave it there, but thank you so much uh, for joining us this morning. We very much appreciate the access. Thank you. John Donaldson teaches Simpsons philosophy at Glasgow University. And once again, if you want to watch that documentary, it's called The Problem with Apu, made by Indian-American comedian Harry Kundabola. 
<laughs> Kelly Moore, Shadley Vidal, behind the glass, Jerry, Greg, and Brett with you. We're talking about uh, fandomonium and how it's really encompassing a lot of people, either that don't watch games that often or maybe hardly ever people. Uh, we had a text message yesterday. Is the game going to be on CJOB tonight? No, it's not going to be on CJOB tonight, uh, unfortunately. And of course, the whole controversy about exactly where to find the game because oh. it's not on CBC National. And on my social media feeds, about 10 minutes before puck drop, a slew of messages was like, oh, when you find out right before the game starts, you don't get the channel it's on. Yeah, so I imagine is... uh, Sean Cable had a few <laughs> phone calls oh, yesterday. Wow. Uh, oh, I would guess around 5.45, yeah. 5.50. I'd like to sign up for Sportsnet, please. Shanley yeah. Vidal, you have Sportsnet, and uh, your mom came over. Do you have video or audio from your mom cheering last night? You know, I wish I would have. I would have been filming because I gave I, the Jets were kind enough to give us some of those uh, playoff white towels. I gave it to my mom every time they scored. She'd be cheering, yeah! whipping <laughs> around her towel. So we watched the game together from start to finish, awesome. including the anthem. And that was the first time I actually sat through a hockey game from start to finish. And the first time I actually really watched a Jets game, Jets 2.0 game. I did see the Jets 1.0 play. I saw their, it was at their very last game before they did the playoffs. And it was exciting. Like there was like, especially my mom was like, I don't know if it was like the sound or what, because you kept hearing them slam against the glass and it was making all this noise. <laughs> and then they had to change the glass. And then, oh, there's all this controversy because like, the the wild goalie like pushed one of the Winnipeg guys and then and then my mom saying about talking about how much oh she loves Dustin Bufflin she's like no one better touch my buff you better not touch the buff because then he'll come and get you and you better not touch his teammates because then he's coming for you you so, want to do sports at 725 <laughs> I was thinking she maybe Shanley wants to go host sports and, Sunday this weekend and I, and I learned too they had the, the wild kept having an empty net and I thought well, well that's stupid and, and did, they get, did the goalie get a penalty and my, my mom explained me that no is so that they can have an extra player on the ice and they're going to risk having an empty net. And so I, I'm i learning about hockey. Oh, oh that is fantastic. It's an awesome from Shelly Vidal. Oh, Kelly, can you, you can't make it any better than that. No, I certainly cannot. Uh, you know, I'll tell you, I was blown away. And I guess I shouldn't be because of the passion for uh, the Winnipeg Jets in this city and province. Uh, but I have to admit, I was absolutely blown away at the crowd. This, I mean, it was supposed to be you know, a so-so turnout for game one, Wednesday night, weather's not that great and that sort of thing. And I mean, and I'm going to put forth a, a suggestion, Destination Donald was absolutely <laughs> jam-packed. Uh, I don't know if you could have, could you shoehorn anybody else in there? Uh, I saw one tweet that said basically sold out that they, you know, they had capacity for 6,000 people. And I think by the sounds of at least one tweet that they were at capacity, at least at one point last night. So they're saying that they can extend that. Down another block if well, they have to. So I, uh, I, I'm thinking Destination Donald might be either going one block north or one block south. Uh, I can't imagine what it's going to be like. Uh, just it, it don't quite have the excitement and passion that Shanna Lee has. But I'll tell you, the, the difference in the Winnipeg Jets 2018 and 2015, three years ago, I don't know that they would have won that game. Mm-hmm. But the difference in having a player with the ability of Patrick Lyonet uh, was very evident last night.
And they answered right back, right? Yeah, 57 so, seconds later, and yeah. Minnesota uh, uh, clearly came out with a little bit of uh, uh, extra pep in their step in the first uh, several minutes of the third period. Maybe that that veteran presence, right? Uh, oh, sure, Matt yeah. Cullen, right? 40-plus years old. Uh, his uh, his is a playoff a playoff goal with six different teams. Yeah, three Stanley Cups. That's so, uh, yeah. pretty special stuff. John Lippman is our next guest. And the reason why John Lippman is our next guest is because he was one of the many, many fans wearing white to watch the game as the Jets defeated the Minnesota Big Wild. Big deal. There were lots of people there last night wearing white. He used to be a season ticket holder for the Atlanta Thrashers. Okay, that's a little bit of a bigger deal. That's the team that became the Winnipeg Jets 2.0. So we thought we would catch up with Dr. Lippman to get... His reaction to the the Jets' first playoff win and the franchise's first playoff win. Dr. Lippman from Atlanta, good morning, sir. Uh, Good morning. It was great. Thanks for having me on. (laughs) Yeah, you can kind of sum it up in one word, but uh, maybe you could uh, expand on that a little bit, Dr. Lippman. I know, and hey, we've been where Atlanta hockey fans were, and we've heard and told all the jokes about, you know, how few hockey fans there were in Atlanta, but maybe you could uh, paint a picture for how much of an effect and how much Atlanta did enjoy hockey. Oh, absolutely did. It was it really wasn't the franchise left because of ownership and the f- fragmented ownership. There was plenty of fan base. I mean, we, we had, we had great fans in Atlanta and we were just as heartbroken to lose the team as you guys did the first go round. So I, I made it a point that if they were going to be in the playoffs, I, you know, I still follow them. I watch every game, you know, remotely from NHL.com. So I've, I've seen every game this year on my laptop or my phone, but, uh, we, we miss them, but, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna follow them, and hopefully this is the start of a huge run for them this year. Doctor Lemon, where were you, or how were you able to secure tickets for the playoffs? How did you have to jump through any hoops for that, or were you just uh, lucky? Well, I was planning to just come and get tickets, you know, any way I possibly can, you know, by showing up to the event. Usually, I'm able to do that somehow, uh, but I decided to reach out to a colleague who I never met. And uh, he's here in Winnipeg. He's the chief of interventional radiology, Dr. Brian Hardy, who's uh, um, over at Health Science Center. And I said, you know, look, I'm coming up. And do you know of anybody or any line on tickets? I know it's going to be hard. It's, you know, it's a small arena and so forth. And he said, well, you know, I've got season tickets. You can join my family. I'd love to have you if you come and speak over at uh, the Health Science Center. (laughs) So I'm giving grand rounds today at uh, noontime to the uh, physicians over there. <laughs> a little bit of quid pro quo. I like that. Yeah, it worked out great. Our own NAFTA trade deal happening right before <laughs> our very eyes <laughs> between Dr. Lippman and, and HSC. That's a great story, uh, Dr. Lippman. So, so tell us, uh, is this your first visit to Winnipeg overall? It is my first. I've been to Canada. I've, uh, I grew up in upstate New York, and I was in. I visited Toronto, Montreal, and uh but I've never been to Winnipeg, and uh, uh, it's great. It was, uh, it's, it's been a blast. So, are you're going, to, or how many of these games are you going to try to go to then? Well, the, last night was my my only game, but uh, um, I'd, I'd really love to be here to to watch tomorrow night. But uh, you know, business calls. Well, that's okay. We'll forgive you uh, for having to head home. Maybe uh, later on. Maybe you come back in June when it's uh, thirty oh. degrees and we're, we're still playing hockey. Yeah, that was kind of funny. When I landed, they said, oh, it's sunny, high of zero. So I was like, wow, that's a, 
Um, yeah, no, I would love to come back. And if they make a deep run, I'm going to, I'm going to see them. And, um, you know, next round, if they can advance here, they play probably play Nashville. And that's, that's in my neck of the woods. That's an easy drive for me. So I'll be watching them either in person or, or, uh, on my laptop one way or the other. I'm, we're going all the way, hopefully. In his post-game comments, Paul Maurice spoke about the players that are holdovers from Atlanta that came to Winnipeg initially, and Brian Little, uh, Blake Wheeler. He didn't name them individually. Dustin Bufflin, who were all on the ice last night, uh, as it being extra special for them. How special was it for you to see those players that kind of connect the 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 history of the two iterations of this franchise? Oh yeah, it's really important and. Uh, it's, it's fun watching them still play, and you know I saw them when they were Thrashers, and uh, you know the the team is really deep this year. That's that's what's uh, so great. It's that they've got depth at every all the you know forward depth, defense depth, even in goal somewhat. Um, uh, it's just it's a great team. I really love watching them. They're exciting. They're fun. They're fast. Uh, it's 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 a blast. This is the best team um, I think they've ever ever had. Hey, when uh, the team was in Atlanta, would how many fans would go to the games? Oh yeah, well, um, the the arena was like uh, seated about twenty 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 two thousand, and for the big teams, the big games, they they would you know come close to filling it or on occasion fill it. Uh, so we had we had pretty good crowds. Well, Dr. Lippman, uh, so glad you were able to come and you were able to uh, deliver. A, you're not an OBGYN, are you? Did you deliver a victory for us last night? <laughs> no, I'm not an OBGYN, but my area of expertise is actually in the non-surgical treatment of uterine fibroids. So in a sense, uh, my, my practice is a kind of a gynecologic practice, It's a, but a completely non-surgical. Um, I'm an interventional radiologist, uh, and so we do procedures that used to be done by open surgery now we can do from the inside so i i helped uh, in the development of a procedure called uterine fibroid embolization which allows women to get the uh, treat the symptoms from fibroids without any surgery whatsoever and keep their uterus Oh, that, that is a fascinating topic. We should have we should stay in touch with you on that because we know how uh, Winnipeg is at the forefront of a lot of these technologies and implementing them into the healthcare system here. So we'll keep your uh, number on file, Doctor Lipman. We'll, oh, great. We'll, we'll keep in touch throughout the playoffs. Well, thanks for having me on, and I'd say I met a lot of great people here. It's, it was a lot of fun, and uh, I, you know, I, Winnipeg gets uh, gets a bad rap. I. I if I was a player, I'd love playing here. The fans were were absolutely awesome. Great. Doctor, great stuff. Dr. John Lippman, thank you so much for joining us. Former season ticket holder for the Atlanta Thrashers before the Thrashers became the Winnipeg Jets. I was born in a small town. And I live in a small town. It is the Small Town Salute brought to you by South Beach Casino and Resort, where service sets them apart, southbeachcasino.ca. This week, we're headed to the town of Verdon and sort of a very special edition of the Small Town Salute today. Yes, indeed. Uh, Game two, Manitoba Junior Hockey League finals between the Verdon Oil Capitals and Steinbach Pistons is tonight, I believe, at 7.30. That is correct, tonight at 7.30. Verdon leads the series 1-0. So joining us this morning is Jamie Hodson, who is Director of Business and Hockey Operations with the Verdon Oil Capitals. Mr. Hodson, good morning to you, sir. Good morning. 
Thanks for uh, thanks for having us on today. So front and center at uh, the Manitoba Junior Hockey League's website, mjhlhockey.ca, is the headline. MJHL will honor humbled Broncos in pregame ceremony in Verdun. So tell us what's happening this evening. Well, we have, uh, you know, obviously uh, there's uh, heavy hearts in, in all the hockey world, and, and, and tonight we're uh, in conjunction with the league and the Steinbach Pistons and, the, and our own organization, we're going we're gonna to have a uh, pregame ceremony. Um, we'll have other functions at the game as far as, uh, um, you know, ways to, to honor the, the humble Bronco organization and uh, many ways for the fans to, to get involved and, and uh, try to get back through, through the hockey game and, um, and, and be part of that process. So the ceremony will be, I think, uh, you know, um, just before the game, be five, five, ten minutes long, and um, involve some some local first responders and uh, representatives from 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 the firefighters and and uh, RCMP, um, and just to kind of obviously show recognition for um, for the first responders and, um, and with the humbled uh, organization as well, and and then obviously we'll have uh, <clears throat> um, a tribute to the victims and. And, um, you know, so there'll be a, uh, a tribute video as well that the, the league's put together and um, just a time for um, the community and, and the hockey uh, hockey fans here tonight and um, the teams and, and the league to, to show full support for, for what's happened uh, um, up in Humboldt. The children, school-age children across the country, and we're participating here at CJOB, being encouraged to wear hockey jerseys all across the country to school today. The MJHL playoffs put on hold since this tragedy last Friday, getting back on track now. But I can't imagine that any town in Canada that has a small-town sports team that they support, just like Verdun, could be feeling what happened in Humboldt anymore. And uh, Verdun, a, a, a community almost the same size as Humboldt, a little bit smaller for sure, but uh, has a lot of the same characteristics, and, and the people are, are very similar. Yeah, I think with any similar uh, situation, it's really hit hard. And um, just no matter, like you said, no matter where you are, really in the hockey world, and um, it's 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 hit uh, extremely hard. And um, I think that you know, uh, the town like ours is, like you said, uh, very alike. And and um, where uh, the town's got involved, put up uh, humble Bronco uh, flags on on the light posts here and. Um, you know, and just representing everything we can do to kind of represent the humble colors with, within our rank and uh, even um, on, on the players involved too. We're, we're similar to what the Jets did where, where the, the players will have Broncos name bars and, um, you know, colored colored tape of, of the Broncos. And um, we're, uh, we're uh, having uh, young minor hockey players on the ice part of the game as well to – to kind of represent, um, you know, young and old, um, and, and mixing in with Steinbach Miller, um, minor hockey association, uh, jerseys and with our own, um, as well. And like you said, it's, it's very much, a um, an alike situation, uh, throughout the hockey world where it's just, it's touched, uh, everyone overwhelmingly hard, I think. And, and we just, we, our, our, our heads and thoughts just keep going back to, uh, everyone involved up and up and humble 
Jamie Hodson is Director of Business and Hockey Operations with the Verdon Oil Capitals again tonight. Game two of the Turnbull Cup Finals, 7.30 p.m. in Verdon between the Verdon Oil Capitals and Steinbach Pistons, and there will be a pregame ceremony in Verdon to honor the Humboldt Broncos as well. There will be, you can make donations uh, to the Broncos and receive a memorial green ribbon. There will be commemorative Humboldt Strong t-shirts with the proceeds going to assist the Broncos. Uh, so, Jamie, thank you very much for joining us this morning to tell us about this. Thanks for having me. Thanks very much, and hope to see you tonight. Okay, Jamie Hodson, Director of Business and Hockey Operations with the Verdon Oil Capitals. Greg Macklin, Brett McGarry, the Mayor of Winnipeg, Brian Bowman joining us now. Mayor Bowman, <laughs> nice to see you. Last time you were here, I said to you, any plans to close down any streets during Jets' playoff run? And, and you said, uh, we'll not be making any comments on that. A little bit of We're going to have a street party on game one. I yeah. can tell you now. <laughs> Breaking news. <laughs> Thank you, Mayor Bowman, exclusively here on 680 exactly. CJOB. Mayor Brian Bowman, confirming we will have a street party yesterday. And what an event, <laughs> outstanding event. Whose idea yeah. was this? Who's sponsoring it? Who's paying for it? You know what? Uh, hats off to Economic Development Winnipeg. Dana Spiring is leading that team there, and they have done an amazing job. And uh, it was really a, a collaborative uh, effort with True North, uh, as well as with uh, many city departments. We had the you know, Winnipeg Police Service did an outstanding job, uh, Winnipeg Transit, Public Works. Uh, there was a private sponsorship that, that stepped up. And you know, it's been a it's been a lot of work in a very short time frame, and uh, I, I thought you know I thought last night it went very well. We didn't get any reports of any incidents. Uh, fans were respectful. Um, you know, everybody everybody did what we were hoping they they could do, and they sure showed up. I mean, I was I was there, and the place was packed, and it was just a lot of fun. So we get to do it again tomorrow, and. Uh, the team is going to be meeting uh, today to uh, to take a look at what worked, what could be improved for the for the street party. And, uh, you know, tomorrow, just I'm encouraging everybody, wear your white, uh, whether you're going to the street party, the game, work, school, the office. Let's uh, let's let's paint this town white and uh, the Winnipeg sign will be ready for the whiteout again tomorrow. And, and I'll be there cheering with everybody else. Cap Young, big day yesterday. Does uh, what the what came out yesterday change the timeline at all as far as uh, the expansion of Keniston is concerned? Uh, no, I wouldn't say that because I mean that's uh, I mean look uh, the widening of Keniston is something that uh, I mean it should have been widened years ago. I mean uh, it's one of those files I, I wish we uh, as a council didn't inherit. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of infrastructure priorities. We know that that has to happen. It, it's a parking lot at the best of times. I mean I, I drive on it. And, um, you know, I wish when, when the city was looking at, at expanding, especially uh, in the Bridgewater area, in that area of the city, which we're seeing, uh, you know, good growth, which is, is something we want to see, that there was, uh, there was a lot better planning in advance of that. So we know it has to happen, but uh, what we heard yesterday was really encouraging. And I want to compliment Treaty 1 Chiefs as well as the federal government for, uh, for really getting this far. Of course, there's some more work to do and we'll continue to play a collaborative role with uh, uh, with the discussions with Canada Lands Corporation, uh, provincial, federal governments, and the Treaty 1 chiefs. Uh, now, I've voiced uh, some concern about the fact that we may fix the problem between the St. James Bridge, even Ness, all the way to Taylor, but we've still got a, a mess south of Sterling Lion Parkway all the way to the flyover at Bishop Grand. And are there any plans to uh, initiate studies on, on what can be done in that section of Route 90? Because we're going to alleviate one problem only to, to end up with another, I think. 
Well, it, my discussions have focused on the on the northern the northern part that I right around Capion. So it, that's something that I'm, I can't comment on off the top of my head. I'll have to check with our engineers to see you know what sort of planning has happened further south. Uh, I would imagine that there has been some 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 planning, and um, I think the you know the the big the big decision that council will ultimately have to make is uh, is where do the dollars come from? And uh, that's why when we released the the first ever state of the infrastructure report in advance, my state of the city address a couple weeks ago, it's really important because it gives Winnipeggers uh, the most uh, open, transparent and accountable uh, assessment of our infrastructure. And the vast majority of our infrastructure is roads. And so what we what we saw when we did that report is we've actually made some headway in reducing the infrastructure deficit on roads citywide. Uh, the regional roads is is a big piece of the puzzle, and that's why the accelerated regional roads program that I've been uh, championing, and we're now waiting for uh, for hopefully from approval from both uh, federal and provincial governments, is really important because it's going to help alleviate some of the you know the road repairs that uh, Winnipeggers uh, want to see, myself another, included. Another part of our infrastructure is rail is train tracks, and we're hearing now that it's maybe not so unimaginable that CP would get out of the out of town so to speak uh, what are the but what are the, your thoughts on a feasibility study we're hearing a number about four hundred thousand dollars is that something the city would be willing to look into well it, it has been something that uh, we've uh, we've been willing to participate in as you know the Jean Charest was was lined up to to do a, to do a study um, uh, we've had discussions with uh, the current provincial government as well as with the federal government to say we're, we're willing to play a collaborative role in this but uh, it's not something we can do alone I mean if it uh, if it wasn't a matter of money, which obviously in government it always is, um, you know, it, it's for me that's obviously the potential redevelopment opportunities with uh, with the with the main yards there is is enormous for city building. Uh, it's just a question of dollars, and we we would need to see some real dollars and uh, commitment from other levels of government, uh, not just uh, talk, uh, but real real dollars. It's just not something when you're talking in the billions of dollars. Um, it's something that that we want to see a good collaborative discussion, and that uh, that assessment is something we'd be willing to to participate in. But we need to have the participation of both the provincial and the federal governments in order to rule it out or to make it maybe even a potential uh, topic of conversation in the upcoming uh, election. Do we not have to have a genuine idea? You know, you throw out billions. You know, yeah. uh, you hear the number from one billion to two, and are there federal dollars? Uh, Sell Burroughs and his group say that mm -hmm. there is a federal pot of money that will pay for up to half of this. Uh, do we not really need to know the ins and outs of this before we decide whether or not it's going to be something we consider? You know the the you know we hear about these pots of money. Uh, we haven't seen it though. So uh, I I want to compliment. I mean, uh, some of the the community leaders that have stepped forward and I met with recently, uh, you know, very passionate, uh, very uh, sophisticated and well connected group, and they they are having dialogue with other levels of government as am I, and uh, it's something that uh, I have raised and I'll continue to raise with both the federal and the provincial government to see what we're able to do and. Uh, if we get that uh, that buy-in, then uh, we'll be there. Absolutely. Uh, I think, I mean, your question is bang on. I mean, you, you need to have more accurate information to have a more informed debate and discussion, and uh, and that's something we would welcome. Have you spoken with the mayor of St. Paul, Minnesota? You know, I haven't. I, I went down to uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul uh, last year on a business promotion uh, trip for Winnipeg, um, uh, but uh, in terms of the NHL, uh, not yet. Uh, but... Uh, 
you know, there's still some more games left in the series. Uh, hopefully not too many. Hopefully only three. <laughs> but uh, no, we, we haven't we haven't spoken yet. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to, to having that chance, I'm sure, in, in due course. We're trying to name uh, the Donald Street uh, street party here. And we're getting lots of lots of suggestions. Everything from the snow zone to Blizzard Boulevard, <laughs> uh, the whitewash. Jetstream has a ton of votes. Uh, the hangar, uh, also the runway, uh, the landing strip. All sorts mm. of great ideas. So we're working hard to to give uh, it's uh, give give that uh, great yeah. celebration its due and, and give it the proper moniker. So uh, we're we're working hard to to That's give awesome. it a nickname here. That's so. awesome. That's great. You know what and. Uh, for those that were there, um, you know, you felt like you were you were experiencing, you know, a kind of a moment in history. I mean, it really was really special to be there, and especially for the first win for Jets 2.0. Uh, hats off to the team, though. I mean, those guys are they fought hard. Great season. Last night was really exciting. I was pretty nervous, I have to say, watching the game, uh, as I'm sure a lot of Jets fans were. But uh, you know, I'm looking forward to doing it again tomorrow night and uh, and really seeing Winnipeggers out celebrating their team and their city. Winnipeg Mayor Brian Bowman, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Thank you. Have a great day, guys. We're anticipating that if we get an NHL franchise, the city will proceed to build an arena. They are the of the arena. There we were, the Winnipeg Jets. Now we're running with the big dogs. That was kind of neat seeing Bob Irving last night on the, the pregame show on Rogers Sportsnet ahead of the Winnipeg Jets Stanley Cup playoff opener. Uh, they did a nice little five and a half minute package sort of on the history of the whiteout and uh, it was really cool to see that. It was a nice package. You said it kind of brought you to, did, did you well up, Greg? Oh, yeah. yeah? It, it was like uh, contemplating them leaving all over again. Uh, the emotions are still raw on that front and uh, so overwhelming. The, the pride that that really lives inside of me and so many of us on fine display yesterday. And that pride comes from losing the team, from supporting the team for so many years, that mix of emotions. And and yesterday, with them finally getting this uh, first victory in 1.0 history, uh, the monkeys off the back, the trepidation is sort of left somewhat. There was a lot of nervousness going into that game last night. Many emotions, and I think it just culminated in a gigantic sigh of relief of around uh, 9 o'clock last night. And uh, just uh, as I've mentioned throughout the morning so far, I took notes while I was watching what I did see of the game. I did finally fall asleep in my chair after the first period, so I didn't watch the whole game. I kind of skimmed through it this morning before I came to work. Uh, But one of the things that I saw when uh, the Jets got their first goal, Mark Scheifele, or Mark Scheifele, as I like to say, uh, when when they showed, uh, or would it be Scheifele, like Pele? Um, (laughs) When they showed uh, one of the slow-mo replays, uh, sort of close up, there were two guys sitting in the front row right behind the net and they they were so excited they threw their arms up and these two guys both had full bags of popcorn <laughs> and it was like two side by side volcanoes of popcorn in Didn't slow see motion that. <laughs> it was so funny. I'll have to go back and look for that I actually recorded the game it's something I never do really unless I'm uh, unless I'm going to be elsewhere so I actually recorded it for uh uh, for uh, is it prosperity? Prosperity? Uh, for long term. Oh, uh, uh, oh no, that's not, <laughs> the, that's I know not it's the, the word. Posterior. I'm posterity. Always gonna, there we go. Thank you. <laughs> posterity. <laughs> <laughs> ah, we found our way there. We always do, Brett. And uh, speaking of finding our way to, we want to find our way to the cup, but. 
How have our perceptions about the Jets' chances of winning the Stanley Cup changed between the start of the 2017-18 NHL season to right now? I mean, I remember the Jets was at the 0-2. Did they start 0-2? And And there were people saying, fire the coach! Yes, sir. Prairie Research Associates conducted a survey to find out. So we're joined live on 680 CJOB by Nicholas Borodenko, who is a partner at Prairie Research Associates. Mr. Borodenko, good morning to you, sir. Morning to you both, gentlemen. So, how are Manitobans feeling about the Jets' well, cup they, chances? We are, we are, we are much more optimistic than we were, say, about seven months ago. I'll tell you that much. It's, uh, it's been a drastic swing in terms of how optimistic we are now about our Jets versus where we were back in September before the season started. Well, I suspect the numbers and the number of people who believe the Jets were even going to make the playoffs would have been rather lone. Let alone uh, give the the Jets a a chance at winning the Stanley Cup. Yeah, I think I think most of the pundits back in in before the season had Jets sort of as a at best a fringe wild card team if making the playoffs at all, and I think that's that's reflected in the fact that back in September, just 13 percent of Manitobans thought the Jets, you know, had Stanley Cup aspirations. Now I see that uh, on this survey, women and younger Manitobans are the mm-hmm. most optimistic about that. What's what are they saying? Yeah, it's surprising because that actually hasn't changed. Back in September, before the season started, women and and Manitobans 18 to 29 were the the most optimistic about the Jets' Stanley Cup chances. And you know, flash forward to the end of the season, and that hasn't changed. Like women and uh, young Manitobans are still the most optimistic. Now, of course, everyone is more optimistic, but those two groups have consistently been the most optimistic about the Jets' playoff chances. Yeah, I wonder if we could go back in time and do a similar survey, say, in September of 2010, as to the likelihood, if you were to ask people, what is the likelihood that the NHL will return to Winnipeg in the, in the next year? And I suspect that the, the findings that you had in September of 2017 would be similar to the findings that you might have in September of 2010 on two different questions, but uh, around the same uh, sort of proposition. Yeah, like it, it, you go back before they announced that the Jets were even coming back. Like the the idea that you know, I don't think there was anybody even talking about you know the Jets being a, a twinkle in anybody's eye because they think that they, everyone thought that ship had had sailed. And I think if you didn't talk to people after they announced the Jets were coming back, like the, for many years, I think everyone was just happy to have them back. And now that you know this is a legitimate Stanley Cup team, I think it's also reflected in the fact that you know. People are watching more games. Like we asked another question on there too. About a third of all households said they're going to be watching every single Jets game. A third. A third. Yeah. That's a big number. Well, hey, Nicholas Borodenko, uh, thanks for joining us to tell us about this survey. Can we see the the full results of the survey somewhere? Yep. If you go to our website, www.pra.ca, there's the uh, entire results posted on the website. All right. Nicholas Bordengo, partner at Prairie Research Associates. Thank you very much. And uh, before we pause here, Greg, I just wanted to quickly ask you as well, another observation I made. Don Cherry said the Jets didn't play well last night. What say you? Well, that first period was kind of feeling outish. 
They were feeling each other out somewhat. The Jets were the better team, I thought, in the first period. In the second period, uh, the Wild kind of had a solid pushback. And then once Minnesota went up 2-1, to one, it was all Jets. It was absolutely all Jets. 19-4 to four were eventually the shots on goal in the third period. The Jets played their game for the most part. They got a little bit outside their own lane, so to speak, to use a driving analogy. They were hitting maybe a little bit more than they they were during the regular season. I think they were going out of their way to maybe send a message to the Minnesota Wild. Uh, I really think, and we mentioned this yesterday, there was a ton of pressure on this team to win that game last night. They did what they had to do. And in the words of Paul Maurice, uh, I'm not questioning any wins. Yeah. He, you know, down the stretch, the Jets had some quote unquote ugly wins. A win is a win. I think you might see the Jets uh, really, really in their identity tomorrow night. drum intro over and over and over again one of the very finest Canadian songs of all time Mackling and McGarry with you until 10 o'clock this morning Brett do you you don't drink coffee do you I do not have I, you ever had a cup of coffee I've taken a sip well there are two things that play with coffee one I don't like warm beverages so whether it be coffee tea hot chocolate no thanks uh, I'm the guy who, my dad always laughs because he remembers uh, driving by me one Friday night as I was walking home from the Comic Factory in Transcona. Comic Factory was on Day Street, just uh, blocks uh, north, or, yeah, north of Regent. And I was walking home with a large Slurpee in my hand. It was snowing outside. It was all near blizzard conditions, and I'm walking home with a Slurpee. He offered to give me a ride, and I just said, I'm almost home. I'll just walk. I was enjoying the walk. Soup? But, Do you eat the soup? I like soup because I consider that food. It's I know it it, it. it could be there could be no noodles in there, but it could just be chicken noodle broth. But I, I consider that food. But I also just don't like the taste of coffee. I've tried iced coffee. I've tried iced tea. It just doesn't work for me. Well, why don't we talk to Sylvain Charlebois? He's a professor in food distribution and policy at Dalhousie University's Faculty of Agriculture. He's a frequent contributor here on 680 CGOB. And before we jump into the Tim Hortons question, Sylvain, is uh, is soup a food or a drink? <laughs> <laughs> well, both are hot. Uh but uh, they're, both are not hot commodities at Tim Hortons, I can tell you that. Oh, look oh, at this. He's a... Coffee is a big deal around the world. You know, after oil, it's the most uh, commonly traded commodity in the world. What? After oil. So, yeah. Wow. Coffee is a big deal. So a lot of people drink coffee, and uh, and the number of people who drink coffee every day is increasing as a result of what's going on in China and India. That is fascinating. I had no idea yeah. of coffee's prevalence on the uh, international trade market. Here in Canada, of course, Tim Horton's been a staple uh, as Canadian, as hockey, as, uh, well, probably as three, maybe three or four other things in terms of cultural icons. But it's trust and the trust that Canadians have in Tim Horton seems to be falling. What's, what's the deal? Absolutely. Well, going back to the global market of of coffee, I think RBI, Restaurant Brands International, uh, the holding company which owns Tim Hortons now over the last uh, three, four years, uh, I think is, is hiring uh, the international markets because that's where the growth is. In Canada, I mean, there were, there were Tim Hortons everywhere, and I suspect that RBI put an X on the K market a long time ago. And now, 
And, I mean, as an expert, I, I've seen this already for, for a few years now. I have seen a, 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 a um, uh, I mean, there's, there's been a lot of, there's, there is a lot of tension between franchise owners and, and RBI in Oakville. Uh, but it has become, I think it has become apparent to most Canadians over the last, I'd say, 12 months. And that's why now more and more Canadians are, are realizing that really Tim Hortons is really no longer a Canadian company. So Leger National releases this annual report ranking Canada's most admired companies. Tim Hortons drops from number four to number 50 in just 12 months. And uh, in this article that you've written here, uh, which appears in today's Globe and Mail, you, you paint a rather... Uh, sort of unflattering picture of RBI and the way that they conduct themselves. And in one of those ways, one of the comments that really jumped out at me here is RBI's ultimate commitment has been to its shareholders and not necessarily to the Canadian public. I realize business exists to make a buck, but, you know, if, you, if you're turning your back on your customer, isn't that counterintuitive? Um, I actually think it's by design, and and there's nothing wrong for a publicly traded company to 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 value uh, its shareholders. After all, without shareholders, you wouldn't have a company in the first place. And you need to you need to run a profit. the The issue here is that they, there was some sort of a social contract between the game public and Tim Hortons as a brand. And when RBI came in with its very efficiency driven agenda. Uh, around nickel and diming, it, it just didn't jive well with what was going on with Tim Morton's heritage and legacy, and uh, and that's why uh, something broke along the way. Uh, I suspect that uh, there's that that the rift between franchise owners and RBI will only continue and will only get worse. Uh, recently, uh, RBI announced that it would um, redesign all of its restaurants and it will invest $700 million. Now, here's the catch, is that all restaurant owners, for each restaurant, they will need to invest $450,000. And most of these companies are family businesses. $450,000 is a lot of money. In other words, what RBI is saying to its franchise owners, pay up or leave. Is this a move to perhaps reduce the number of locations, Sylvain? Oh, likely. Absolutely. Of course. There are several. I don't know how many towns you have in in uh, in Winnipeg. I but can there's... see seven from where I'm sitting right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm not surprised. I mean, there's lots of them, and, and, they, and they've been they've become very popular. The challenge, of course, is, is market saturation. You have so many now that uh, at some point you're going to have to uh, to um, step back a little bit. And I think that's what RBI is doing. So it doesn't mind seeing uh, contracts being uh, teared up between franchise owners and and um, and the RBI. The problem is that you have some people, they were investing their time and money uh, on their company, Tim Hortons, for their retirement. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually met a uh, franchise owner in Calgary. Uh, the person owns several uh, Tim Hortons, uh, eight or ten, now, half of them aren't profitable anymore as a result of what's been happening uh, with RBI. So, so uh, essentially, I, I think a lot of franchise owners right now feel absolutely betrayed by what's been happening the last few years. 
And I'm just looking. I mean, you make you you make reference to Heinz. They actually went up from 23rd to 13th place. But I was at the grocery store the other day. I needed to buy some ketchup, and I had my hands on the Heinz bottle. And then I remembered, no, wait, they're the ones who packed up and uh, moved out of Canada. They closed their plant, so I reached over and bought French's ketchup. Uh, so I mean, oh, you that, did I did. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean that kind of well, stuff. French's, this is a funny story because uh, uh, French's wasn't even manufactured in Canada when this ketchup war uh, erupted a few years ago. So Heinz closed down Limington, uh, the Limington plant in Ontario, and everyone actually started to defend French's because it re- the plant reopened uh, with some reinvestment, and they were actually asked to manufacture tomato paste for French's. But the ketchup actually was manufactured in the U.S. It was a U.S.-based ketchup. But since then, it is now uh, manufactured just north of Toronto here. And uh, so what you just bought was really cane ketchup. But it wasn't always this. So, uh, it, was, it wasn't always cane ketchup. Huh. Well, <laughs> we learn so much every time we speak to you, Selvan. We, uh, <laughs> we will reach out to you again. As you know, we always appreciate your insight, and uh, thanks for your time today. No problem. Thank you very much. Sylvain Charlebois, once again from Dalhousie University, and today in the Globe and Mail, he touches on a recent report by Leger National about Canada's most admired companies. Tim Hortons dropping from 4 to 50. We've got Canadian students wearing jerseys and people at work all across the country wearing hockey jerseys in support of the victims of that horrendous crash in in Saskatchewan, the Humboldt Broncos. There's kind of a a melding here of, of this idea of healing and honoring. And we're at a crossroads here, and uh, it's uh, kind of an interesting place where we find ourselves. And in the wake of last Friday's tragic bus crash in Saskatchewan, a Winnipeg artist is donating proceeds from a print to the Humboldt Broncos players and families. Adria Warren posted a photo of the print featuring a pair of hockey skates hanging off a stick to Instagram on Sunday night. And like many others, she said she was at a loss for words trying to comprehend the sadness felt by everyone affected by the crash in Saskatchewan. Adria joins us now live on 680 CJOB. Adria, good morning to you. Good morning. So when we spoke to you earlier this week, uh, you had raised $2,000 since posting the print. We spoke to you on Monday. Uh, how much have you raised so far now? Uh, yeah, so Monday it was kind of the emails were still flying in at, at like when I was still on the phone with you guys. Um, as of right now, I, raised, I think I'm just about at the 7000 mark. I haven't fully been keeping track as I have been trying to fill orders and answer everybody's emails, but I'm um, hoping to get super organized before this weekend, before people start picking up and get a good number on there. But it's, it's right around the 7,000 mark. So refresh our memory and what an outstanding initiative on your part, Adria. Uh, congratulations on this. And it's a beautiful picture. I, I collect sports art and uh, I'd be honored to uh, make sure that I, have this in my collection so I'll be reaching out to you to make sure that I get one of these uh, prints Uh, just tell us about the process uh, of getting them and how are you producing them and and the financials involved Um, so I basically just I sat down Sunday evening I just had this idea spark and um, made this watercolor piece it's mixed media 
with watercolor and ink, and I just got it scanned. And I'm just about to pick up 700 of the prints today. Um, so the amount of support that I've received is incredible and will be covering the costs of the, the printing as well as the, um, the shipping. Um, I find that lots of, lots of the orders have been out of town, so um, the postage will definitely cost a little bit of money, but the cost of the printing and the postage doesn't even compare to what I have raised so far, so it's pretty awesome. So how does it work if someone listening to this right now wants to place an order with you? I guess it's all, is it all based on donation? Yeah, so I, unfortunately, I don't have a website right now where people can place orders, but they can contact me um, through email. Um, my email is warrenadria at gmail.com, or they can just direct message me over Facebook and Instagram. Okay, and uh, you say that you you had 700 of these printed, so does that mean you have to to stuff 700 of these in envelopes? I do, and I'm aware I do have a busy couple of days ahead, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm I'm also looking forward to meeting so many of these awesome supporters this weekend, coming by and picking up their prints up. It's it's really filled my heart the response that I've got so far. What a grassroots effort on your part! One more time, the the email address and the other ways we can reach out, Adria. So my email address is Warren. My last name. And then my first name, Adria, warrenadria at gmail.com. Or on Instagram, you can direct message me at Adria Warren Creative or direct message me at Adria Warren Creative on Facebook. All right, Adria, thank you so much for joining us this morning on 680 CJOB. Congratulations to you and the effort that you are making in support of the Humboldt Broncos. This is usually the part of the show where I talk. And uh, then we uh, have conversation, and maybe you'll call or text or whatever. I, I know nothing about what we're going to be talking about oh, in come the next on. few minutes. So why don't I pass it over to you, Brett McGarry. It's Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry, till 10 o'clock. Fans of Game of Thrones will be getting a treat this weekend. Exactly why, Brett? Because Richard Brake, who is the man who plays the Night King, a.k.a. the leader of the White Walkers on the popular TV show. The HBO smash hit is headed here to meet with fans. It's just one of the attractions of this weekend's Manitoba Comic Con, which is happening at RBC Convention Center. It's a a bite-sized version of C4, which is the Central Canada Comic Con. To tell us more, we're joined by Donna Cowell, who is the assistant director for River City Conventions. Donna, welcome to our studio. So first of all, i got to ask you, the, the Night King, so for those who are not familiar with the show, He's a character who he looks like a, like a frozen zombie, essentially, and he never speaks. So is this guy, when he shows up at the convention, is he going to be in costume and makeup and not speak, or what's the deal? Well, as the treat that you guys were saying, he will be doing a question and answer portion on Saturday. So that would be great. He is coming as himself. And yeah, it's just a chance for the fans to um, really um, build their curiosity about the show and anything that they wanted to ask they could and i'll just get you to lean a little oh, bit closer right. to the mic if you could thank you i'm just gonna look up who this richard because i've never actually looked up who hang on a second richard Brake, i am deep oh yeah i recognize this guy he's one of those oh that guy guys yep for sure i he actually was... have a book called mm-hmm. oh hey it's that guy 
Really? And it's just full of character actors. Uh, sounds like something maybe I might have written once upon mm-hmm. a time. And I bet you this guy's in it. Yeah, I've seen him in all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. He was in an episode of Supernatural, yep. uh, Ray Donovan, and uh, yeah, he's been, oh my God, he's been in lots and lots of stuff. That's cool. He's yeah. actually a really interesting guy. Yeah, um, even in movies like Thor The Dark World, and he was also in Kingsman. Okay, so, yeah. that was a fun movie. Did you ever see Kingsman, Greg? Kingsman's no, great. No. Gary, did you ever see Kingsman The Secret Service? Oh, yeah. Did you like it? <laughs> it was fun. Did you see the sequel? I didn't. I haven't seen it either. Donna, have you? Yes, I have. Is it as good as the first one? Um, There's something always about the first movie that everyone would have loved. So it, it was very interesting movie as well. But the first one was very good. Okay, very should well I done. watch it? You and I seem to have similar tastes yeah. in <laughs> other uh, the television shows. So do you think mm-hmm. I might like it? I can be yeah, up. I think so. If you're very much into action and effects, it's very great. Okay, I'm writing it down. Kingsman. <laughs> so as you were how so one of the things i wanted to ask then the, there's the manitoba comic con mm-hmm. and c4 central canada mm-hmm. Are, is that part of river city conventions as well yes it is we do both run um we run the both shows so c4 is one of our big shows it and that runs happens for, in uh, the fall a, yeah it happens in the fall and um it's basically a three-day long show um Many vendors from all over Manitoba, as well as parts of Ontario and Saskatchewan, come to C4 and just have a get-together and for everyone to come to. As well as Manitoba Comic Con, it's one of our smaller shows. It only runs for two days, which is Saturday and Sunday. So, yeah, that's um, something we run over the course of the year. Well, you still had, I mean, last year you had 6,000 people yes. in attendance. Mm-hmm. So. How is there room for all these conventions? Because you've got Manitoba Comic Con, you've mm-hmm. got Central Canada Comic Con, you mm-hmm. have Horror Con, yep. which I think is another one of yours. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's FanQuest, our friend Dad Vatabonk. Like, mm-hmm. there are so many of these fan-related mm-hmm. conventions. How is there room or demand for all this stuff? Oh, we've got a big room at RBC Convention. It's just plenty of space for everyone to get together, meet new people. Um, very, It's a very good atmosphere to be in for once to be sharing um, your interest with a whole bunch of other people. And it just uh, creates an area of very fun like atmosphere you know I, like I know people who could go to 41 Jets games a year mm-hmm. and then go to another yeah. 10 Blue Bomber games a year mm-hmm. and find a, a time to go to baseball games so mm-hmm. I'm guessing if you're into this stuff oh, absolutely. You're, you're into it and you want yeah. to attend these mm-hmm. things right for sure like if you're really interested in um, pop culture um, movies like Marvel DC Manitoba Comic Con is great it's just a way for everyone to kind of connect on what they would like on their interests that you don't usually get outside of the con or like on your regular daily life. Um, so, yeah, it's very fun. Are you uh, DC or Marvel? Ah, uh, man, um, I'm a huge Captain America fan and I'm not even ashamed to say it. <laughs> Why would you be ashamed? <laughs> just because everyone has this whole idea of just like almost like a rivalry between the two. But really, it's just people's interest and whatever, like, you know, um, basically... What what you like and what really connects with you is what matters most. Not not with the oh this um, company is better than the other in terms of you know Marvel and superheroes. They all have they're great in their own way, and people can see in the characters what they could relate with. And I very much love Captain America's you know kind of just like perseverance and always seem to work hard for what he thinks is good. And so Chris Evans yeah. is kind of hunky too. So. Yeah, he's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, Donna's a little bit embarrassed uh, there, Brett. Well Did not played. see that one coming, but okay. So what's your favorite TV show? 
Um, this is probably way fetch off of what we were talking about, but I'm a big fan of Grey's Anatomy. Mm. You come what? <laughs> Grey's Anatomy? You come in here to talk about a pop culture sort of genre con, and it's uh, Grey's Anatomy. Don't worry. Um, Supernatural also has my heart. Oh, okay. The what Winchester a- brothers are. Also pretty to look at. That's one of my favorite shows of all time. <laughs> are we going to uh, have a Grey's Anatomy con at some point? Uh, is that something I that goes on that. somewhere? I'm not sure about everyone else, though. Okay. But what else do you like for TV shows? You mentioned, I think we you mentioned one earlier that Greg is into. Yeah, um, I'm very much into the drama-like, so something with suits and scandals. All right. It's, That's your show, great. right? Suits, suits is my show. <laughs> Very good, Donna. Mm-hmm. You and I are, it's, are it's connecting. Awesome. Uh, uh, I didn't realize that we might connect on such a level. Uh, <laughs> this whole idea of the DC universe and the what, what, is it, what is it? The DC universe and Marvel DC world extended universe and mm-hmm. Marvel cinematic, cinematic universe. universe. It really started with the Iron Man films, right? Like, I mean, obviously Spider Man. Mm-hmm. There were always different mm-hmm. iterations of mm-hmm. of Spider Man. But yeah. I was talking with my boys uh, yesterday and how much we like so- a lot of these films. And I said, I think it kind of started with the whole Iron Man thing because they were trying to figure out if uh, it's Robert Downey Jr. that yep. plays uh, plays uh, Iron Man and they were trying to figure out uh, does he get any rights to any of the toys or anything? I'm thinking he probably did back in the day because Iron Man was that next step out but mm-hmm. I can't imagine any of them getting their hands on any of that money now. I don't know. Oh. be interesting I, to know. Well, he gets paid like $50 million yeah. for these movies mm-hmm. now. So. That's all? <laughs> And I, I watched know. on an interview that apparently during um, the Avengers that he has the biggest trailer. The on biggest the set. trailer? Oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. sense. Yep. He's... Apparently, it's like a village on for Robert really? Downey Jr. Yep. That's so it's funny. Interesting. Yeah, well, it's interesting to see how that came that happened because mm. do you remember when it was announced that he was going to play Iron Man? Yeah. There was I don't want to use the word controversy, but shock I think from because mm-hmm. he was kind of you remember he had his problems with addiction. Oh yeah, yeah. he mm-hmm. was almost he was controversial. Yeah. Oh, so for then sure. they they go and hire him, and I thought that's cool. Yeah. He looks cool, mm-hmm. and then he's now he's yeah. the headliner, mm-hmm. and it's great because um even through all those the controversies that he's been through, he was able to portray his great acting skills throughout Iron Man. Sometimes I'm not even sure if he's acting. Is he Tony Stark or Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> in the movies? It's it's very um it's it's great to see that because um of that one movie, so many other characters came to life that everybody loved. Yeah, and Iron Man was the first, uh, the, for, technically the first in the Marvel Cinematic Universe because Sony had the film rights to Spider Man. Mm-hmm. Fox mm-hmm. had the rights to the X-Men, so mm-hmm. uh, Iron Man was the first that was uh, from uh, essentially from Marvel, and then Disney ended up buying Marvel. Uh, we only have a couple of minutes left here, but Game of Thrones, uh, Richard Brake again, the Night King, is going to be the special guest. Uh, when is that happening? When- um, that would be in April 14 and 15 from uh, 10, to 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. He's there both days? Uh, on Saturdays, he would be, yep, and... Um, as well on Sunday, but he will be doing the question and answer on Saturday. Okay. Are you a fan of Game of Thrones, by the way? Um, I, I am, I'd like to say that, but I've only gotten to a couple seasons until I don't understand anything. <laughs> <laughs> I was just so confused Take the entire like time. Get a notebook, and then you can keep track of everything that goes it on. It took me five seasons just to remember some of the characters' names. It's a <laughs> hard much. show to watch. It's, you much. have to watch it multiple mm-hmm. times, or at least twice, yep. to really get it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, hey, Donna, thanks for this. Where can people go online to get more information on Manitoba Comic Con 2018? Uh, they could go to uh, C4Winnipeg.com and, um, and they can just take a look at the information more on 
the hours and times available, as well as the schedules, what the panels are, as well as more information about Richard Brake if they're interested on what else he's in. Okay, Manitoba mm-hmm. Comic Con happening this weekend, Saturday, Sunday, RBC Convention Center. Tickets are 10 bucks a day. Again, the special guest is the Night King from Game of Thrones, played by Richard Brake. Donna Cowell. Suits con. We need a Suits Con. <laughs> suits Con. <laughs> we can run our own little con. <laughs> kind of just go, like, hey, everyone. <laughs> Donna Cowell is assistant. Donna for you. <laughs> Donna to your Harvey. Right? <laughs> Uh, Donna is the assistant director for River City Conventions. Thanks for joining us, Donna. That's all the time we have. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thanks to Behind the Glass, Jerry and Channel Vidal. And thank you for listening to CJOB. Na, 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 na.